I want you to think about something with me before we get started. There's a prophecy in the book of Habakkuk, chapters 2 and 3. And sum it up, it basically says this, that there is coming a day, and it's truer than the law of gravity, that there's coming a day where it says that all the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. You go one chapter over and it says basically the same thing, that there's really coming a day where the entire earth will be full of the praise of Jesus. And I just want to remind you of something. That is the closest that you will ever get to that, what we just did. When we stand in His presence and we sing Him praise, there's coming a day where preaching passes away, but worship forever and a million years after that and a million years after that, we will praise our King. Do you love to stand in the presence of God and sing about the majesty and the exalted Christ? I love this. I love to do it with the church, the people of God. This is the closest that we ever get. So I just wanted to remind us of that this morning. If you haven't been with us in recent weeks, we as a church, we are walking through the Gospel of Mark together on Sunday morning. So I want to welcome you again. You've already been welcomed once, and I want to welcome you again. We are glad you're here. We're glad you're here to hear the Word of God, and we'd love for you to be back next week. And our plan at this church is to stick very closely to preaching through books of the Bible, verse by verse, passage by passage. And so today we've made our way to the end of Mark chapter 12, and everybody should have a study guide around you. If you don't, I have several extras up here. If you'll just throw up a hand, we could get some people to take them to the back. It's okay, it's not awkward, just keep them up. We'll get every, that'll really help you stick closely with what we're looking at, if you have one of those. Alright, let's go to the Lord and let's ask God to bless this time. We're about to look at His Word and we want, we want it to be profitable to our life. We don't want to waste our time. When you come here to waste our time, we want to hear from God, we want... God, the Holy Spirit, to instruct our minds, to fill our hearts with His truth, to change our lives. So we're going to pray for ourselves. You're going to pray for your neighbors. So let's pray. Let's go to God together. Father, we stand in Your presence, Lord, in the name of Jesus. And we have sung Your praise, Lord. You are matchless, God, and there's none like You in all the earth and in all of heaven. You are holy. There's none besides You, God. You're the highest of all kings, Lord, and yet You have called us to Yourself, And we can open our mouths in Christ and we can call You the King of glory, our Father in heaven. We praise You for what You've done, this great salvation that You've brought us. Lord, today we thank You for Your Word, God. Abundant grace You have given us in Your Word. We don't have to wander through the fog of human opinion in our life. Lord, You have pierced the darkness, God. And You have spoken Your truth to us, God. And You have given us Your book, Lord. Your words recorded in a book. God, we praise You for the Scriptures. We praise You that we can know You truly and rightly, Lord. God, we thank You for Your Word today. And we come, Lord, and we ask, God, that You would feed us, Your people. You are the chief shepherd, Lord, of Your sheep. And we ask, Lord, that You feed us today. God, we pray that You'd open our minds to understand Your truth. And I pray, God, for my brothers and sisters today. Lord, I pray that You would make Your Word profitable in their life, just like You promised that it would be, Lord that You'd make it have an impact, that You would make it have a difference in our lives. Jesus, we love You, and we want to obey You. We want to walk with You rightly. And so, Lord Jesus, we ask You to just teach us Your Word, Lord. Teach us Your Word. Help us to grow. 
God, use this time for Your glory. This is our prayer today. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Alright, Mark chapter 12. Our text this morning is going to be verse 41 through verse 44. And so I'm going to just knock the awkwardness out of the room at the beginning. Today we're talking about money. We're talking about money today. Okay? Specifically, we are going to dive into what Jesus teaches about generosity. And I just want to spend a minute at the beginning tell you what we're not doing. Okay? This is not a church pledge because Grace Community Church is behind on our budget. And we need to make up. We're not. We're not behind on our budget and need to make this up. This is also not a ploy or some gimmick for me as a church leader to, to make a pitch for to increase my salary. I'm not doing that. Okay? So I want to knock both of those things out at the beginning. Now I want to apologize on behalf of Jesus. I want to apologize. If anyone has ever sat in, in this room, if you've ever sat under church leaders that take topics like this and they manipulate them for selfish outcomes. That's never supposed to happen in the church. That's never supposed to happen with the Word of God. That, that's called peddling the Word of God. So if this has ever happened in your life, we have no intentions to go there. And I want to knock one more thing down at the very beginning. I know zero of what anybody sitting in front of me gives to this church. So anything that I'm about to say is not directed personally at any, anybody at this room. This is just us studying the Word of God together and asking God to apply it to our life, that the truth of God would be applied to our life. And this is the beautiful thing about expository preaching, okay? that it really gets you away from the model of the pastors and the church leaders picking their favorite topics to talk about every week. So why are we talking about money today? Because the Gospel of Mark is talking about money today. This is why we're doing it. Okay, We're walking through passage by passage and boom, it's right there. So this is the beauty of this. We just preach the text that God puts in front of us. This is why we're looking at it. This is in the Word of God. So we want to lean in and listen to what Jesus would teach us today. Now, I want to give you a special, just some background. And when we come and land in this text, we are coming with a certain cultural context. We're Americans. Uh, most of us in this room have grown up in America. And what I want you to see, okay, I want you to see something as we come. There's some, there's some special things that we need to take note of as we come to passages like this in the Scriptures. You have lived, most of you in this room have lived the majority of your life in the most prosperous nation in human history. Okay, You have lived and grown up in your life in the most prosperous nation in human history. I want to I help you. There's such a tendency to get isolated and that you only know about things that go around just around you. So I want to help you get way up high and get a global view of the world economy. I'll give you some stats to consider about global income. What is income like on planet Earth? Seven billion people here. What's it like? So here's some stats just to help us get oriented. You need to know where you stand in the world. 75% of the people that have been created in the image of God on planet Earth have an annual income yearly of $3,200 a year. 75% of the world have an annual income of $3,200 a year or less. Okay? Then, consider some other statistics. Here you go. The average American Christian household since then, this, this ranges average, here average, okay? North, south, east, west, all kinds of situations, the average. 
Annual income is $42,000 a year. This means that on a global scale, when we look at all humanity, not just Americans, this means that the average American Christian household is among the richest 2.5% of people on planet Earth. You are among the richest 2.5% of people on the planet Earth. Now here's why that matters. Listen to this verse in Luke 12, 48. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. So I want you to see that when the Bible talks about the rich, in a global sense, that's us. That's who the Bible is talking about, you. So go look at yourself in the mirror. This is who you are. You are the rich, by and large. Now, some of you live in neighborhoods and you don't feel like this every day. You don't feel like the rich. And I understand that. This is why we have to be global Christians and we have to zoom way out of what's going on in all the nations, not just in our neighborhood and not just in America. American Christians bear a special responsibility to biblical passages like this about generosity. We need to know very much about biblical generosity because too much is given, much will be required. So we are American Christians. And then throw something else right in line with that, that... Not only are we American Christians, we are Americans that have, we, we are growing up in the midst of a culture of greed. And here's what I mean by that. For the past hundred years, there's been this dynamic that's been happening in America. And, here, and here's some more stats to consider. In 1933, during the Great Depression, this is, this is pretty widely available. During the Great Depression in 1933, the average American church, churchgoer, just hold with this phrase for a second, the average American churchgoer gave 3.3% of their income to charitable gifts in, in whatever way that that got dished out. 3.3%. This is in the middle of the Great Depression where people are struggling to feed their families. Okay, Struggling for basic necessities of life. Fast forward 80 years. 2014-2015. The average American churchgoer gives 2.5% of their income to charitable gifts. And so... I don't want you to get hung up on these statistics. I don't. And I, I, I'm not a huge fan of the phrase average American churchgoer. That's like the softest way to describe a Christian, a disciple of Jesus that I've ever heard. My point is not for you to get caught up in these statistics, but I want you to see the trend. And the trend is really simple, simply this. In the past hundred years in America, radical increase in income. And at the same time, radical decrease in giving resources. That is the culture of greed. This is what we must fight against like the plague in the American church. This, this idea that a radical increase in income is spent on ourselves instead of given freely in the name of Christ. This is worldliness in the church. And we've got to come against it with everything that we have. Leonard Ravenhill is famous for, for this saying. He says, Today, Christians spend more money on dog food than global missions. And we just say it at Grace Community Church, may that never be true in your life. May you not stand before the resurrected, exalted Christ and give an account of your life of spending more money on dog food than on finishing the mission of Jesus. And that's just one small example of this of how this culture of greed can, can corrupt our hearts and cause us not to freely give in the name of Jesus. So today, with this passage, we're going to use the truth of God's Word and we're going to come at this greed. We're going to come at this worldliness that with everything that we have, with the power of the Word of God. 
We need to be aware of these things. We need to be aware of, of that much is required of us. And we need to be aware that we live in a culture of greed. And so we're going to hear these teachings of Jesus with that aim. We're going to come against it with the truth. And so I intend for this time together today to, to do something in your life. I prayed and I've asked God to do this. God, use your truth to do something that lasts. Not just Sunday, Monday through Friday, Saturday, next week, a month after that, five years from now in your life, that you would be a disciple of Jesus marked by generosity. This is what we're asking for today. We want God to do that in our hearts all across this room. Okay? This is going to be an intensely practical message today. We're going to look and we're going to basically say, what does this passage teach? We call ourselves disciples of Jesus. What does it teach? And then we're going to take that truth and we're going to apply it to our life. Simple as that. I want to give you one more thing to consider. Whether we like it or not, whether we like it or not, what we do with our money is constantly telling a story. It's speaking a message. And Jesus taught us this because our money is connected to our hearts. This is Matthew 6, 21. Jesus says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so for this reason, Jesus taught us this, that there's a direct connection between our checkbooks and our hearts. Jesus taught us this. And so giving, your giving is like a spiritual vital sign that someone could put their hand on your neck and feel your pulse and know that you're healthy. Your giving is like that in your walk with Christ, that if it's good, it's a good sign that there's something happening in your heart. And if it's not, it's not a good sign of where your heart is. Your giving tells you where your heart is, the real you, not just what you say. And so at Grace Community Church, we're all about the mission of Jesus. We're all about finishing the mission. And how sad would it be if we had hot air coming out of our mouth for the next 20 years, but we weren't radically generous with the resources that God has given us. That's called deception. Okay? And may it not have a place among us. We're going to dive into the Word of God with all these things in mind. So turn to Mark chapter 12. And we're going to read our passage together today, beginning in verse 41. And I want you to read that with me. Mark chapter 12, verse 41, and we'll read through verse 44. This is the Word of God. It says this, And He, Jesus, and He sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. And many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in everything she had, all that she had to live on. So this is the, this is the story, this is the passage. And I want to start by reminding us about the context in Mark 12. Y'all remember this if you've been here. Jesus has been in conflict with the religious leaders on this one long day in the temple. And in Mark chapter 12, verse 40, Jesus confronted these religious leaders. With a, he gave a warning to the crowds. And here's one of the things that he said about these religious leaders in verse 40. He says, those guys devour widows' houses. So these are the pretenders, the hypocritical religious leaders. It gives you an insight into their heart in this area. They're not radical, generous givers. They de they're devouring the most needy on the planet. And so you get a snapshot of pretenders and hypocrisy. 
And in this passage, it's like a, it's like a door swinging on a hinge. You get a contrast. And Jesus contrasts this radical hypocrisy and He shows you the exact opposite picture of wholehearted devotion to God. And Jesus uses this poor, nameless widow to teach us this lesson. This is the lesson. Now I want it to be clear that Jesus intends to teach you, disciples of Jesus, He intends to teach you something in this passage. And so if you back up and you begin to observe the pattern of the Gospel accounts, the synoptic Gospels, that's Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all three of them do this. At this point in the Gospels, if you're studying through and studying through, you know that we're just days away from the murder of Christ, from His crucifixion, just a couple of days away from that. And every Gospel, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, every synoptic, at this point, it's like a, a switch gets flipped in Jesus' ministry. And He no longer is in direct opposition to these religious leaders. He's done with that. And really, He's no longer ministering to the crowds at large. He's done with that. At this point, until He goes to the cross, it's a direct, full-on ministry straight to the disciples. This is like the final lessons He's getting in before His cross. And the first one is about money. And you see this in every, in every synoptic gospel. In Matthew 24, Luke 21, and Mark 12, you see this pivot and this switch. And what this means for us is that Jesus thought that this passage and this lesson was important enough to squeeze it in in the final days of His life on earth. And so we as His disciples ask, ask the question, oh, well, if Jesus thought that this was important enough to squeeze into His final days on earth, then I better lean in and listen to what the Savior was trying to teach these men. Does that sound, that sound like a plan? That we need to lean in and you need to know personally that Jesus is trying to teach you something through this story, through His Word. This is specific to you. So let's be begin looking at this story, and let's get the setting of it firmly fixed in our minds, the setting of the story. I have been greatly helped by, by this idea of reading and studying narratives of Scripture, narratives being like the Gospels, Genesis, uh, some of the narrative accounts of Scripture, of trying to visualize the story. Don't read this like a phone book. Don't read the Bible like a phone book. Try to see yourself there. Try to picture what's going on. And so what we want to do in these narratives, we want to draw that out. We want to see a little deeper than what's on the surface of what's happening here. So on this day, Jesus Christ walks into the Jerusalem temple and He sits down opposite the treasury. Alright? It's like an ancient offering box. And He sits down on this day and He just starts watching people. Like people watching. Watching normal, everyday people like you and me and he sits there and he's watching them give gifts to God. He's watching them. Now, people are everywhere. This whole week, this last week of Jesus' life, people are everywhere. This is the Passover feast of the Jews in Jerusalem. Okay? This is like the religious Super Bowl of the year. And most commentators say that the population of Jerusalem, it was swell like ten times the normal amount during these feast days. And so he's already in the temple, which is like the most important place in Israel, and then you stack on top of that that we're in the middle of Passover. So people are everywhere. Crowds of people are everywhere. Some of these people have traveled long, long distances to keep the Passover feast in Jerusalem and to give to God in His temple. And Jesus is just sitting down watching them. All kinds of people moving around. He's just sitting there watching them. We know from history... 
that in the treasury of the temple that there's 13 trumpets. They're like receptacles standing around. And these are like the offering boxes. There's 13 of them. There's a big opening that looks like a trumpet. And Jesus posts up by one of these. And this is where the people would come and drop their gifts. And these trumpets were massive because there was a ton of money flying through this temple. In fact, one writer compared it to like the central bank of the nation of Israel. The equivalent of modern day millions and millions of dollars. And so they're flowing in and they're dumping the gifts and these trumpets. And Jesus is sitting there watching them. And I want to back off. So we zoned in. I want to back off. And I want you to see this. Okay? This is a foundation. I want to make a quick point. And then draw something out that's very foundational to biblical giving. And the quick point is this. I want everyone to notice that Jesus Christ, He is intentionally watching what other people are giving to God. He's intentionally doing that. And I want to just give you a modern day example of this. This is like somebody walking into Grace Community Church one Sunday morning. And we have an offering box in the back corner. And I just want you to picture somebody walking in, grabbing a chair... Walking over to that corner, posting up about five feet away from the offering box, not looking at me, turns the chair around and begins to stare at that offering box and watch for about an hour and a half and watch everything that hits it. You know how awkward that would be? And I'm not suggesting that anybody do that at this church. But I am trying to show you that that's what's happening here. He is posting up intentionally and his eyes are fixed of what people are giving To God. And so the foundational truth is this. That what you give as a Christian, you give in the presence of Christ Jesus. He sees what you do with your money. He sees it. You can't hide from Him. And Jesus makes no apologies for intensely and purposefully watching what you give. He doesn't apologize to anybody. He is the Lord in His temple. This is foundational. That you know that God sees everything in your life and there's nothing hidden in His sight. So I want to zone back in. Back in our text. We're we're here in the Jerusalem temple and people are giving to God. They're giving to God. All kinds of people. And for many, this whole public treasury and throwing gifts in these trumpets, for many people this was a show. Uh, It was a showboat. It was was a, a religious game. And this show even came with sound effects. Okay, and this isn't hard for you to picture. Imagine you have about ten quarters in your hand, and you go up, and you know somebody here has got a trumpet or something metal cone, and you slam about ten quarters in that thing. You hear something; it makes a sound. This is kind of like drawing attention to what you're doing. That you just chunk it in there a little harder, and bang, bang! You know all these quarters hitting the trumpet. All right, and so this was a show in a lot of ways because obviously what. Obviously, big gifts made really, really big sounds and drew lots of attention. And little gifts, just ping, ping, just a little bitty sound and no attention. So this, this was, there was a lot of show and a lot of external pretending during these treasury offerings. And we don't know for sure in this busy temple, this would be like a mall, you know, you're walking around, people everywhere. We don't know for sure if Jesus heard the sounds of the coins hitting the trumpet. But we know on this day that He saw something that day. We don't know if He heard anything, but we know He saw something. And not everybody that's in line to give to the Lord is playing a game. Not everybody's in this for show. And verse 41 and 42 tell us this, that He sat down opposite the treasury 
and watch the people putting money into the offering box, many rich people putting large sums, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins. This is how close that Jesus is to evaluating that. He is close enough to the treasury to know that there's not one coin in this woman's hand, there's two. He's close enough to know that, it, that isn't a silver coin, that's not a, that's not a bronze coin, that's a copper coin. That's just another layer of, He sees what you do. You can't hide from Him, He sees what you do. So He sees this day, He sees many rich people and they give large sums. And then we're introduced to this most unlikely character in the Gospels. You, it turns and all eyes are fixed in this story on this nameless woman. She doesn't even have a name. All we know about her is that she's a poor widow and the Savior's eyes just land on her in this, in this temple. And I want you to try to picture yourself. Try to, try to visualize this, that she's standing there and the Savior's eyes land on her. And we know, we know that Jesus created this woman. He knows everything about this woman for Let's say she's 40. Maybe she's 60. Every one of the years of her life, Jesus has sustained this woman. Hebrews 1 verse 3 says, He upholds the universe by the word of His power. He knows how many hairs are on this woman's head. He's holding cells together in this woman's body. He knows her entire story. He knows from the moment she was an infant to the, to the present moment and even into the future. He knows how she became a widow. He knows the pain in her life. He knows the struggles that she has in this culture as a widow. And we know from the Word of God that Jesus' heart, He's full of love for people like this, for these widows. Psalm 146, verse 9. This describes His heart for this woman. It says, The Lord watches over the sojourners, and He upholds the widow and the fatherless. So He's standing there, and He knows her, and He loves this woman. He loves her. He knows everything about her. And he's watching her. We don't know everything he's thinking, but he sees her and in a certain moment. He sees her step forward. And then he sees her hand go up. And then he sees her drop two coins in the trumpet. And then you hear the sound. Ping, ping. And unless you would have been like right beside her in that moment, you wouldn't even have noticed what she did. In an earthly sense, this gift was almost worthless. And you're told that. These are... Two copper coins called lepta. And they're not, when you put them together, they're not even worth a modern day penny. It's like a fourth of a penny okay, that this woman gave. So almost nobody around her would notice what she did. But this gift, you think about this, this gift becomes arguably the most important, famous monetary gift in the history of the world. Two little coins, bing, bing. And we're still reading about it 2,000 years later. So this is the story. This is the story. One widow, two coins. Before we go into the lesson that Jesus wants us to see in this story, I want to ask you this question. What are people doing in the temple of God given to these trumpets? Why are they here? What's going on? And to answer that question, I want to roll back into the Old Testament. I want to show you that giving to God has a biblical basis. It's rooted in Scripture. They're here for a reason. So to do this, I want to roll back into the Old Testament and I want, I want you to organize these two categories of giving under the Old Covenant in the Old Testament. The first category is this, the required giving of God's people. And the second category is the free will offerings of God's people. We're going to look at both of those. The required gifts of God's people and the free will offerings of God's people. I want you to stick close with me because I want you to see this. The most 
popular required giving in the Old Testament was known as the tithe. The T word. That means tenth. The tithe is the tenth. Okay? This is the most popular required gift in the Old Testament. Now there's a lot of confusion in the modern day church about carrying the tithe into the new covenant. And part of the confusion lies around this fact. A lot of people don't know that there was more than one tithe. There's actually three tithes under the Old Testament. So this is going to inform the way that we think about this. The first tithe is known as the Levite's tithe. You can find this in Numbers 18.21, which says this. Numbers 18.21, To the Levites I have given every tithe in Israel for an inheritance in return for their service that they do, their service in the tent of meeting. So, simple enough, every Israelite in the nation was to give a tenth of all that they had to the Levites. That's the first one. Simple enough there. Well, the second tithe is known as the festival tithe. Okay? And you can find this in Deuteronomy 12. We'll read verse 5 through 7. It says this, But you shall seek the place that the Lord your God will choose out of all the tribes to put His name and make His habitation. There you shall go, and there you shall bring your tithes. And there you shall eat before the Lord your God. Fast forward to verse 17 and 18. You may not eat within your towns the tithe, but you shall eat them before the Lord your God in the place that the Lord your God will choose. So here we, we stack another one on top of it, that every Israelite is to give another tenth to this Jerusalem celebration, to these feast days that several times a year they would make a pilgrimage and they would keep feast to the Lord. And they would actually eat this tithe. They, this was part of the religious celebrations in Israel. This is how they were funded. Alright? So what I want you to keep note of is at this point, you're 20% deep into the pockets of every Israelite. Okay, you got 20% coming out at this point. But there's also a third tithe. We're still not done. The third tithe was this. It was known as the poor tithe. This can be found in Deuteronomy 14, verses 28 and 29. It says this, At the end of every three years, you shall bring out all the tithe of your produce, and the Levite and the sojourner and the fatherless and the widow who are within your town shall come and eat and be filled. So not every year, but every third year, this would be the, the third tithe, to give another 10% every third year. This was like the welfare system in Israel. This is how they funded it. Okay? The sojourner, the widow, the fatherless, and you would feed them. Every third year. And what this means, when you, when you do the math on this, this works out to about 23.3% of annual income that was required under the Old Covenant by every Israelite. So, when someone asks the question about is, should Christians tithe? Should, is tithing part of the new covenant? This is not solved by the really common solution of you should give 10% of everything that God has given you. If you want to import the tithe from the Old Testament, you have to import about 23% of your income you would be commanded by God to give to your local churches. This is just true. Okay? There's more than one tithe. So this thing is not 
that simple of just dropping 10% of everything you have and you're fine with God. But I want you to think about this, and, and maybe you've never heard this, so, so just consider this from the Word of God. Something in the New Testament happens that's very interesting in regard to tithing. You say, what is it? It disappears. We say, what, what do you mean it disappears? Like it's all over the Old Testament. No, I mean like it literally disappears. There is zero Scripture verses and references in the New Testament to Christians tithing. It disappears. It drops off the map. And so for this reason, because we can't find it in the Bible, we conclude that Christians are not under the obligation to give a set amount of their income to God. This is part of the law that is passed away. If we can't find it in the Scriptures, we don't need to add to it. Okay, So the tithe has passed away. There is no longer any mandatory legal amount that Christians under the New Covenant are required to give to God. But, but, this does not mean that we are not commanded to give. And so at this point, I want to introduce you to the second category of Old Testament gifts. They're called free will offerings. Free will offerings. We'll read about this in Exodus 25. Verses 1 and 2 say this, The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the people of Israel that they take from me a contribution from every man whose heart moves him, you shall receive the contribution from me. What I want you to notice there is there's no amount stated. There's, there's freedom for this to be different among the people of God. And He says, whatever their heart moves them, tell them to bring. Okay? Now, if you really want to understand the Old Testament rightly, that is in addition to the required tithe. Okay? The tithe was required, and if you didn't pay it, you robbed God. But these free will offerings were whatever the heart is moved to do. Bring them to God. Bring them to God's temple. These free will offerings are above and beyond the tithe. And so, what kind of offering is this woman given in this story? When she goes and she drops the two coins and our passage says that she gave everything she had. This is a free will offering to God. Tithing, she's way above 10% or 23%. She just threw down 100% of what she had. Wiped out her bank account. This is a free will offering to God in His temple. This we are not free from. This is the kind of giving that Christians are commanded to give. We give free will offerings to God. Now many people refer to the New, Test New Covenant giving as grace giving. That Christians, as Christians, we give by grace. In response to the grace that God has shown us in Christ, we extend this grace and generosity to others. So, so far we've seen the story and we've, we've dug into the Old Testament for why these people are here giving these gifts. This is the biblical basis. Now I want us to dive in and we're going to understand this lesson that Jesus would have His disciples to see. In verse 33, we see Jesus turn to His disciples and He uses this woman's gift as an object lesson. Let's read verse 43 and 44. It says this, And He called His disciples to Him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty 
has put in everything that she had to live on. All right, I want to give you something simple before we dive into this. This is, this is Pearl Bible study right here, okay? Jesus just started that sentence in this lesson with the word truly. And that is the same Greek word as the word amen, okay? And one thing that I've learned in reading the Bible, the Gospels, is that we say amen at the end of sentences. But Jesus, when He teaches, He says it at the beginning. And when He says it at the beginning of the sentence, it's a really good idea to lean in and listen. What is He about to say? He starts His sentence with amen, and then this lesson comes out about generous giving in response to the grace of God. So it's time, my point is it's time to listen up. Or as my three-year-old boy would say, it's time to turn your mouth off and turn your ears on. Nicholson's taught him how to say that. So. All right. Time to turn your mouth off, turn your ears on. Listen up. Jesus says truly, amen. And something is happening with this woman's gift that the disciples don't see. Jesus sees it, they don't. And here's what's happening. The disciples, Jesus saw many rich people drop the coins in, and so did His disciples. And something's going on in their mind that He wants to drive out in reverse. And what they're thinking is, man, look at those big gifts. Man, praise God. Look at what God can do with that. That's $100 million or $100 million quarters, whatever it is. Look at what God can do with these great gifts. And they're seeing outward appearance, but they're not seeing the heart of these givers. And this is wrong. And Jesus wants to reverse this. They're overly concerned with outward appearance. He wanted to show these disciples that God's economy is different than natural man. This is something that we have to see. Jesus knows how to add. When, when He said she gave more than, Jesus knows that they gave a thousand and she gave one. He's not, he's not, he knows how to add. He means something different. And Jesus sees something that they don't. And here's what He sees. The disciples only saw how much people were giving, but Jesus saw how much was left over. The disciples saw only what people were giving, but Jesus saw how much was left over. And to illustrate this point, He draws a contrast between, on one side, the abundance of the rich and the poverty of the poor. He wants to show them something about this. And you need to learn this. Now, for starters, I want to say this. This passage, Jesus is not rebuking the rich who gave much. He's not. You can't find that here. He's commending this woman, but He's not rebuking them. Some that were there had a lot and they gave a lot. The rich gave a lot and they should have because it, this is biblical. Rich people should give generously to God. You see this in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 and 18 says this. Listen closely. As for the rich in this present age. As for the rich in this present age. They are to do good and to be rich in good works. To be generous and ready to share, thus storing up for themselves a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Rich people, those who have a lot, should give a lot, and some of them did in the story. So this is not Jesus' point, is the amount of the gift was too small. Okay? His point is to highlight something that happened in the woman. He wants to highlight. The whole point of the passage is this. This passage is about sacrificial giving. And that's the key word that you have to have in your brain to understand this passage. How is the gift more? 
How is two coins more than a thousand? How is two coins more than five thousand coins? Because it was more sacrificial. Okay, this is about proportion in the eyes of Christ. They saw how much money went in the trumpet. Jesus saw how much money was left over. He knew that she cleaned out her bank account. So this, this gift was more sacrificial, and for this reason, it was more valuable in the eyes of God. It was more than. She gave more than every rich person in the temple that day because of her sacrifice. Proportionally, it was 100%. 100% is what she gave to God on this day. Now, this is an act of great sacrifice from this woman. You think about this. She comes and she has almost nothing and she has two coins in her hand. And she could open her hand and went ping and gave one of them. And you know what, propor- what proportion that would have been? 50%. If this, is, this would have still been a great gift to God if you clean out your bank accounts and give them half of what you have. It's a great sacrifice. And you see how easy it would have been for her to just hold one back for herself. But she opens them and both go down. And she gives everything that she has. And this is what Jesus would have His disciples have in their brains as this object lesson towards radical generosity. This is about sacrifice. So we must learn radical generosity as disciples of Jesus. And here's what we need to know. Jesus wants you to see this, that God sees not only the amount of the gift, but your ability as a giver. Not only the amount that you give, but your ability as the giver. He sees not only what you give, but also what you have left over. God knows what proportion that you give. Nothing you can hide from this Christ. And Jesus wants us to know that God hates it when we give gifts to God that cost us nothing, that are not sacrificial. They're not filled with sacrifice. This is what the disciples must learn. And so you have this poor, nameless widow. And she stands as the object lesson for us today. And the point is this. This pleases Christ. If you love Jesus, here's a way you can bring Christ pleasure. That you deny yourself and that you give sacrificially to the cause of Christ. This is how you bring pleasure to the Savior. This teaching is often overlooked by disciples of Jesus. But this is important enough that this is in the final days, the final days of the life of Christ. So the question is this. You followers of Christ, Jesus teaches this lesson on His final days on the planet. And the question is this. How will you respond? How will you respond to this object lesson of this widow and these two coins and she gave it all? So I want to give you some application points to help you think through this passage. This is going to be tremendously practical for you. We need to take this and we need to chew on it and we need to go home. We need to pray over this. We need to search our hearts about what we're doing in this area. So the first point is this, an application. You should give. You should give. Alright? And I thought about just blowing past this, but I was like, man, there's no way. There's no way that I can just blow past this. And just assume that we all come out of here Feeling good without knowing this. You are commanded by God. This is absolutely clear in the Word of God. You are commanded by God to give. Okay, To be a giver. That means give money. Give of your possessions and your resources. And one of the dangers that happens in secret things, like fasting, and like giving, and like praying, 
because there's an element to secrecy to them, we use that as a mask sometimes and they become not secret things but non-existent things. You understand that? That because fasting is secret, you never fast. Because prayer is secret and nobody sees, you never pray. And because giving is secret and nobody knows, you never give. And that is a distortion to what's supposed to be happening in our lives. Our lives are to be marked by giving to God. So you should actually, as a disciple of Christ, give your money away. Okay? I want to highlight some things. This giving of your money should be a consistent, regular practice of every believer. Consistent is the key word here. Listen to Proverbs 3 9. It says this Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce or all your increase, depending on your translation. Proverbs 3 9. Listen to 1 Corinthians 16 2. On the first day of the week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper. And so this is the principle in the Word of God. That the giving that we're called to is not once and every once in a while when we feel like it. The giving that we're called to is as we receive from God, we give to God. We give first to God. As we take in, as we prosper, we give to God. This needs to happen in your life. And what this means for us is that about every time you get paid, every time you prosper, every time you increase, something should be going back to God. This is to be a consistent practice in your life. You get resources and you give a portion away. Second, under the same heading, your giving should be done corporately and personally. And I want to spend some time on this because there's some bad ideas floating around about this. You should give corporately and personally. Let's take corporately first. The New Testament pattern, come hard at this, come hard at this. The New Testament pattern is that you would give corporately to the church of Jesus. Okay, This is the pattern of the New Testament. Consider Acts chapter 6. We're just a few years into the church at Jerusalem. In Acts chapter 6, we are introduced to a daily distribution in Jerusalem that feeds presumably hundreds of widows. Daily. Okay? They're feeding so many widows in the Jerusalem church in Acts 6 that they basically have to appoint seven men to make it their full-time job to feed these widows. Now I want to ask you this. How'd they pay for that? How'd they pay for... How, how would we pay for feeding 900 people? How would we do that? We just, you know, be really nice to our neighbors and everybody's taken care of. Okay, this is a strong strong evidence of an ancient church budget that people pull their resources together and move out in ministry in the name of Jesus. That's Acts 6. Back up even, even sooner. Acts chapter 4. The pattern of the New Testament. Even when, even when the church would meet needs among the church, it was given corporately and distributed by church leaders. Listen to Acts chapter 4, 34 and 35. It says, There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. So I want to highlight this. If you are a member of this church and you do not give corporately to this church, you fall short of the New Testament command to give. This is the way that we give. We give corporately. We do things in the name of Jesus. There's a corporate dynamic to what we do. There always has been. 
This is something that needs to be corrected. We are so prone to this individualistic culture that we do everything our way. We do only things by ourselves. And the Scriptures are full of this us language and this, this family, this family of Christ. And so this is, this is a sin to be repented of in your life. If you're a church member at this church and you never give to this church, it's a sin to be repented of. Corporate giving does not exempt you from what I call personal giving. So corporate you should give, personal you should give. Both of these should be regular things in your life. This is the, this is the standard. And what I mean by personal gifts is you doing good works with your money in the flow of your everyday life. You meet somebody, they have a need, and you meet it. And a good example of this in the New Testament is the Good Samaritan. In Luke chapter 10, verse 34, says this, He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn to take care of him. And so you see this guy, he meets this stranger. And really, you see... Maybe this is the dynamic that corporately we meet church needs. Individually we meet the needs of strangers. Maybe that's the dynamic in the New Testament. And nevertheless, this guy's walking in his, in his everyday life. And he sees this guy in great need. And he doesn't pick up his cell phone and say, Hey, uh, I know so-and-so in a need. I need uh, uh, ten people. We'll put, put this guy uh, some money together and we'll get him some medical care. He takes of his own resources. Nobody knows about this. He meets this man's need. He takes this man to an inn and he tells the innkeeper, listen, take care of him and I'll come back and pay the bill in a few days. This is personal generosity. You get both pictures in the New Testament. Radical generosity. This needs to be happening in all the lives of the disciples of Jesus. Meeting needs. Looking for opportunities to give generously in your normal everyday life that nobody knows about. Number two, you should give sacrificially. We're hammering now, we're hammering on the really the main point of the passage. That this woman stands as an example in our life that we should give to God with sacrifice, sacrificially. This is the opposite of comfortable giving. Right? That's not rocket science to anybody, right? Like giving sacrificially is the opposite of giving comfortably. There's supposed to be some sacrifice in our gifts, in our offerings to the Lord. Hebrews 13.16 says this, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So, sacrifices are pleasing to God. This is pleasing to God. And when Jesus desired to teach us this lesson, He used this woman that gave everything. She gave all that she had. This is sacrificial gift from this woman. That should be lodged in your mind when you begin to ask questions like, Lord, what should I give? Lord, what should I give? You should give sacrificially. You should give sacrificially to God. There should be some sacrifice in your gifts to God. Okay? And what this means, what this woman's story means for us, it may mean that some people in this room are to give everything to God. It may mean that. But it definitely means that everybody in this room needs to do more than you're doing now. And what I mean by that is generosity is something as Christians that we're supposed to grow in. Just like your prayer life, just like your, the mission of God, just like you learn how to teach the Word of God and you grow in Christ-like character. We are supposed to grow holistically and we're, still, we're supposed to grow in generosity. So let this hit us. There's more to be done and we're supposed to aim for a lifetime of growth and generosity.
Sacrificial giving. We give with sacrifice. Something, something that costs us. It's costly. Now to do this, this is, there's another thing going on here. For me to, to, to give to God in a sacrificial way, in a way that's not just comfortable, what has to be happening in my heart? Faith. Faith to God. You will never give to God sacrificially unless you believe the promises of God that God's going to provide for you. And Philippians 4 slams these two things together. Listen to this. Philippians 4, 18 and 19. This is Paul to the Philippian church. He says, I have received full payment, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And then he turns around to that same church and says this, And my God will supply every need of yours according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. If we don't believe the promises of God, we'll never move out into a place that's uncomfortable with finances. You understand that? We have to believe God. We have to trust God. And I want to encourage you today, as we do this, as we come to the Lord and we say, Lord Jesus, we love you and we want to follow you, and we, and we seek the Lord and what He would have us to give, and we give to God full of faith, I want to encourage you that God can use this. God uses gifts like this for His glory. They please Him and He uses them. They're full of power. God can bless your gifts to Him. So I want you to see this. This is like, and it doesn't matter how small it is. Okay? There are some people in this room and maybe you don't have many resources at all. And so when you hear me say God can bless it, it doesn't have to be $100. It doesn't have to be $100 for God to bless it. It has to be sacrificial. It has to be sacrificial. Just like the Macedonians. He used a poor church called the Macedonians. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, I want you to listen to this, verses 1 through 3. These are the Macedonians. He says, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction and their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Then he says, For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. You have a record of a church entrenched in poverty. And they send this love gift, this grace gift, to meet the needs of other Christians. And God blesses it. And He uses it to stir up the faith of other people. To show, to, 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 to demonstrate the power, the Spirit of God at work in their life. So the encouragement is this. That God can use your gift. God can bless your gift and He can fill it up with power and make it to accomplish His purpose. So we give sacrificially. Number three. You should give joyfully. And I want to highlight this because in all this talk of sacrifice, you can get some really bad ideas that we just suffer for Christ. And we just suffer for Christ with sour looks on our face. And we sacrifice and we're hardcore. And the New Testament calls us into joyful giving. Not just sacrificial giving, but sacrificial joy to Christ. Listen to 2 Corinthians 9 verse 7. Says each one must give as he is decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. I want you to notice how much freedom is in that verse. All right. The last thing I want to happen when we walk out of here is our eyes all on each other and, and thinking about percentages. Do you see how much freedom is there? As he has decided in his heart. That's how free you are in Christ. That you give sacrificially as the Lord leads, as He decide, as you decide in your heart. And then that verse ends, that you give it with joy, cheerfully to God. 
And what this means is that God is not like the IRS. All right, it's tax season. All right, some of you might get checks back, but some of you, you know, that don't like the IRS holding your money all year long, maybe you send a little check in every year, okay? God is not like the IRS, and here's what I mean by that. If you write a check to, if you owe $100 to the IRS, or if you owe $5,000 to the IRS, you write the check, and you send it in, and they don't care how much sacrifice is in the gift, and they don't care how happy you are when you wrote the check. (laughs) They want the money, okay? God is not like that. God is not like that. And it, and it doesn't honor Him even a little bit when you give to Him in a begrudging way. But it greatly glorifies God when we give sacrificially with joy in our hearts to, to bless this God in response to what this God has done for us. This is the pattern. Joy. Joyful gifts. These are the only gifts that are acceptable to Him. Listen to Deuteronomy 28. This is the danger of joyless service to Christ. Deuteronomy 28 Verses 47 through 48. He says, Because you did not serve the Lord your God with joyfulness and gladness of heart because of the abundance of all things, therefore you shall serve your enemies. God takes it serious that you serve Him with joy, thankfulness, gladness in your heart. And we are to give to God with joy. And He is worthy to be given to with joy. Our God has poured out His blood for our salvation. And He is worthy to have it poured back out to Him in joyful sacrifice. This is is our God. Number four, you should give in light of the Gospel. You should give in light of the Gospel. So not only only do we does Jesus command us to give, He he gives us the ultimate model and the ultimate expression. The one who commands us to give sacrificially and joyfully, He gives everything for sinners. He pours out His his own life for us. And so the Gospel is supposed to drive our generosity. Not the law, the Gospel. The finished work of Christ is supposed to drive how generous we are. Listen to 2 Corinthians 8 9. Right after He tells that story about the poor church, the whole context of that passage, He's trying to provoke the Corinthians to generosity. So he gives them an example of this poor church that gave out of their poverty, out of the abundance of, of, of poverty. And then he walks into this statement. So you got the example of a poor church pouring out a love gift. And then he says this in verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that you by His poverty might become rich. So when He wanted to provoke generosity in this church, He sent them to the Gospel. He said, you remember Jesus, the exalted one, the one in majesty, the one who reigned over all things and how he stooped down, the one who was rich, yet he made himself poor. And so this is supposed to drive, this gospel is supposed to drive the way we handle money. And I just want to remind you of the gap there, that Jesus was rich and he became poor so that we become rich. And the gap there is this, is that he is the exalted God over all that he has made. John 17 tells us that there was a time where Jesus was in glory with the Father. And they were in a face-to-face relationship glorifying one another. In perfect fellowship and perfect communion, He needed nothing. There were millions and millions of angels that sang the praise of this Christ, that worshipped Him so loud in Isaiah 6, that they praised Christ so loud that it was like an earthquake shaking their voice. This is what He walked away from. He was robed. In matchless majesty, He had all power. 
Everything at his disposal. And then all of a sudden he wakes up in a helpless body in a manger in Bethlehem. And he has wrapped himself in human flesh. And the Word of God calls this an act of humiliation that Jesus subjected himself to. He came as a man. He came as part of his creation. And this goes all the way down. His humiliation goes all the way down to a bloody cross. To a bloody cross. And I'll remind you of this. He's on the cross not because you are worthy or valuable. He's on the cross because He has planned and determined to save His enemies. This is the grace of God. Nothing in you deserves this. Nothing in you provokes the Savior to empty Himself. He does it in an act of grace. You deserve nothing. He pours the grace of God out. You know Him. The One who was rich that made Himself poor. This is to provoke all Christian giving. This is to provoke every ounce of our generosity. The gospel drives it. And what this means here is that if there's anybody listening to me and you're not a Christian, okay? And you're not a Christian, I want to speak to you. And I mean also that you may be here today and you may be a cultural Christian. And what I mean by cultural Christian is not a real one, but just one that grew up in a culture and you name yourself a Christian, but you're not really in Christ. You've never been born again. If you're here today, that's you. The last thing that you need to do is to walk over to an offering box and drop a couple of dollars in it. God does not want your money if you're lost. God wants your life. And the thing that you need to have bouncing around in your soul is that you need to be saved from from the wrath to come. You need to be saved by this Christ. God needs to save you from Himself. You need to be saved. You need to repent of your sins and you need to trust in Christ. And the worst thing that you could do is numb your conscience by throwing in a few dollars and an offering box. That will do nothing for you in the sight of God. Nothing for you. God doesn't want your money if you're not a Christian. But if you are a Christian, then the command here is that your giving would be motivated by this glorious gospel of Jesus. That you, you, you go away. What, what's the takeaway from this message? What's the takeaway? That you go home and you do what? And you begin to think, Lord, what would you have me give? How would you have me to grow? And the, and the worst thing that could happen in that moment is your mind starts to get flooded with percentages. And what this reminds us is that our mind doesn't need to be flooded with legalism and, and, and mandates and percentages. It needs to be flooded with the finished work of Christ. You need to be staggered back and taken back by this message that God above all made Himself poor for you. And that's the model that we are to turn and to give to other people. We give with our minds flooded with the finished work of Jesus. And from that place, we move out in sacrificial, joyful gifts to Christ. Lastly, you should give in the presence of Christ. And this is a reminder that in our story, He's sitting there. He's just a few feet away from the offering box. He knows what you do. There's nothing that you can hide from Him. And so the last encouragement is that you give in His presence. The Scriptures teach that there will be a day when you will give an account of the resources that you have stewarded for Christ. And if you love Jesus, then the only thing that should really matter to you is His approval and that you hear, well done, good and faithful servant. That's all you need to hear if you love Christ. So I'd encourage you, give in His presence. He sees all things and He knows all things. I want want to read this verse over here as we close. This this is, this is the practical, and then I want to I show you the grace of God. I want to read this over you, and then we're going to pray together. When I read this, I'll just ask you to bow your head, and then we'll go straight into a time of prayer. I'm going to read this verse twice. 
This is what we need to believe that God would do at Grace Community Church for every single church member. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8 says this, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things, at all times, you may abound in every good work. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things, you may abound in every good work. Father, we come to You today and we thank You for Your Word. And we just want to respond to You, Lord. And we, we want to praise You, God. We want to give You praise, Lord Jesus, for making Yourself nothing for us. And God, we pray that You would raise us up as a church, as radical givers in Your name, Lord Jesus. God, keep us, keep us Lord, away from dead, cold, powerless religion. God, do, do, do gracious works among us, Lord. Do works of grace among us in our hearts, God. And we ask, Lord, that You would convict us, God. And we ask, Lord, that You would move us with Your truth. God, we pray that You would raise us up as a church of givers. God, we pray that You would save us from any side roads or distortions and youthful zeal, God, that would cause us to miss things like this, Lord. Jesus, we call You, Lord, and we pray that moving forward, Lord, that we would obey You. God, help us to obey You. Be praised in Your church. Be praised for what You've done, Lord Jesus. And we ask, God, that the power of Your truth would make a difference in our lives, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.